We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Wake up! Wake up! Mike Mulligan. Bears, 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 bears. Football, football, football. You know what? I'd like to say you're wrong, Molly, but you're not wrong very often. David Hall. That was one of the best questions you've ever asked. Yeah, I'm sure it's going to get an answer just as good. Chicago Sports Talk for your morning on 670 The Score. Here's the quarterback, Hurts. Third and six from his own 48. He'll try to blast his way. He fumbles the ball. It's bobbling and loose. It's picked up by Bolton, the 30. Foot race, 20, 10, 5, touchdown! The Chiefs have recovered a Hurts fumble and taken it in. Mahomes, shotgun snap, backpedals and throws a pass. Wide open, spinning catch, five into the end zone. Sky Moore, the quarterback sneak. Hurts is going to push it across for the touchdown. Two-point attempt from the two. In the gun is Hurts. Sanders off his left hip. He gets the ball. He'll run it himself. The five to the near side. Got a block. Spins. Dives. He got in. The two-point conversion. Gets it in and ties the game at 35. Holmes will get the shotgun snap low. Picks it up. Backpedals and throws an arching pass in the end zone. No one home. Back corner. Incomplete. Flag thrown. It's going to be a defensive holding, I believe. Fire to the pass. Holding. Number 24. Winchester the snap. The hold by Townsend. The kick is away and good! 27-yard field goal to take the lead with eight seconds remaining in Super Bowl 57. Hurts looking, standing still, winding up. Long pass. It lands at the 20. No one is there. Zeros on the clock. It's over. It's over. The Chiefs have won. The Chiefs have won Super Bowl 57. Start your mornings with Mully and Hawk, 5.30 till 10 a.m. I am definitely part head, part heart. Fly, Eagles, fly. On 670, the score. I'm going to go with the Chiefs. MVP, Mahomes. Two-time now NFL MVP. Patrick Mahomes can do something this weekend out in Arizona to really put himself in a very, very, very special category. Let's go. Molly and Haw, Chicago Sports Radio, 670 the score. Happy Monday morning. Yeah, Zach Zaidman is in for Mully today. It is Super Bowl Monday, the day after the big Chiefs victory, 38-35. What a game. What a moment. Lived up to the hype. And, yeah, I was wrong. Thank you, Brandon Fryer, starting out in the right way this week. You guys were right. Mully was right back on September 8th. He picked the Chiefs to beat the Eagles, I believe, in the Super Bowl. So we need to bring back that prediction at some point this morning. But this was... Everything you wanted your Super Bowl Sunday to be, there was drama, there was intrigue, there was controversy, there was a heroic effort by the leading man, and now we have an NFL champion, Chiefs 38, Eagles 35. Zach, that was definitely a memorable game. When you sat down on the couch to watch that game, you had the two best teams in the NFL this season and a game that lived up to the billing. What more can you ask for? You can't really ask for anything more. You had even even every 
aspect of the non-football part of Super Bowl Sunday. You know, the stuff that the, the casual sports fan, you know, gathers around the whatever room you're watching the game in, goes to the parties because of and doesn't really care how, how effective the Chiefs running game was and that was the difference in the game or wow, how many sacks there weren't. You had the, the anthem, the pregame festivities, you had the halftime show, all of the commercials. It was fun. It was a fun football experience. It was what you want your Super Bowl to be. It was a great way to cap off Northwestern stunning the number one basketball team in the country. What a day for sports, not only in Chicago, but everywhere that you were watching that game last night. We'll get Loved to the it. basketball stuff uh, oh, yeah. a bit later There's on. There's plenty of time, Zach. But I, I think anytime you have two great quarterbacks putting on a show, that's when you really get going. You know, think about when you were a kid, how many bad Super Bowl games we had to watch. And lately, the games have, for the most part, been terrific games. And last year's game ended on a phenomenal defensive play. Right, phenomenal defensive play, to to by by Aaron Donald oh. to end it, and then this year, I know we can focus in on the penalty, which was a penalty. And if if we were doing a show this morning in Philadelphia, I can understand ranting and raving about the penalty that was called on Bradbury. But third and eight, it was third and eight late, and you, yeah, that's what you're referring to. So people, if in case they were already, uh, you know celebrating, not paying attention, going to bed, whatever the case would be. It was third date, and there was a defensive holding call that kept that drive alive. I'm assuming if you didn't watch the game, you're not listening to us this morning. Just taking a wild stab here and saying. Just want to, we, have to, we have to whiteboard a little bit of everything. You never know when you're talking about the Super Bowl. But okay. We, but we, the sting goes out of that penalty when the man who committed the penalty says, yes, I indeed committed the penalty. So you can't rant and rave. When he's not ranting. All right, you went there, so I'll, I'll follow that up. Yeah, you know what? You're right. But at the same time, that's a play that as much as Bradbury admitted to to holding and that he was basically fessing up, every defensive back almost on every third and long has a degree of contact that you could technically call holding. That's a physical sport. And I, and I was with Greg Olson, who, by the way, had a terrific day. Yeah. His first Super Bowl, he delivered in a way that we can talk about later, but there was pressure on him, there was attention on him, there was scrutiny paid him, and he delivered. But he said that it was unfortunate that that call was made because you have to give them you know, a little bit of, of, of leeway in a moment that big. I was with that. You could call that in the first quarter, you could call that in the fourth quarter, I would have let it go because it wasn't that impactful on the play itself. I, I, don't, I don't have uh, an argument for you when it comes to that. But a penalty was committed. They called it. Once they call it, you have to deal with it. I, I think a bigger issue is Philadelphia was known for having one of the best defenses in NFL history, right? And that defense did not show up. Where did it go? It did not where, where show up. Where did Hassan Reddick go? I'll tell you what 19 and a half sacks during the season, and I thought this was as fierce of a pass rush as we have seen since Richard Denton Company. Where did that go? They took on greatness. This wasn't Daniel Jones and the Giants. This wasn't whoever was at quarterback for San Francisco after the injuries in the NFC Championship game. This was very different. 
the the quarterback that they were taking on coupled with the offensive line protection that that quarterback was was getting they were taking on greatness greatness and greatness almost always comes out on top and now to bring it back to chicago because i can't forget this and i know that if you check twitter yesterday or all of social media throughout the game you couldn't help if you have, especially the way that the new Twitter is designed, where you get all these tweets from people that you don't follow, right? Just on subjects. By the like, way, I really enjoyed your thoughts on uh, Saturday's action, Zach, when they came through last night about 7.30. <laughs> but go ahead, you digress. Or at least I did. The point I'm trying to make is that you get all these tweets about Justin Fields this and whether he could do what they're doing in Philadelphia with Jalen Hurts that's not what was going through my mind as I was watching that game what was going through my mind and you cannot forget this for years if you've grown up in Chicago you've always heard about the trade that sent Lou Brock from the Cubs to the Cardinals <laughs> and Ernie Brolio so to the Cubs. So you're going, and, no, and, okay. and, I'm, and I'm going there because it, it's not something you just recover from. There was a general manager in this town who was salivating at the thought of trading up to get Mitchell Trubisky when Patrick Mahomes was available and Deshaun Watson was available. Yeah, it still seems and the guy, pretty fresh of a wound. And, and, and But it, it never goes away. It never goes away. It never goes it's never away. It's never going to heal. This guy, okay. this guy is going to be, if not the best ever to play the position, in the team picture. Oh, there's no doubt about quarterbacks that. Ever. We will and, get into his legacy. And, hold on. We'll get we're, into your therapy. We're, we're five years in. Okay. Five years I, in, two championships, and five conference championship games. Two Super Bowl MVP awards. That's not something that goes away. Ask the people in Portland after they drafted Sam Bowie and not Michael Jordan. It doesn't go away, and you don't recover from that. It it takes years to recover. Have the Blazers recovered from it? I don't see them winning any championships. I don't see them close well, to winning championships. Part of that recovery is, is pivoting to the idea that you want to resist and you think in terms of what's going to happen now, what's going to happen next. And that's why so many people are looking at last night, not necessarily as a way to revisit the trauma that they experienced on draft night of 2017 when Patrick Mahomes went to the Chiefs and Mitchell Trubisky went to the Bears. They'd like to try to forget that and move on because they have Justin Fields to to compare and contrast with the other quarterback in the game last night, Jalen Hurts. That's why you're seeing that kind of conversation on your Twitter feed, whatever the case would be. I don't know who you follow, but I'm guessing that that's probably the the tone of most of the Chicago-centric tweets and, and the fan base is that they would prefer to look ahead at how Jalen Hurts gave Justin Fields you know, a path to follow to the Super Bowl rather than Lament something that's never going to change forever. So I'm supposed to say to myself, while watching that game, Justin Fields, who had four really good games last season, four, one, yeah. two, yep. three, okay. four. <laughs> He's been in the NFL for two years now. Four good games. And I'm all of a sudden supposed to say to myself, oh, yeah, 
I can see this. Yes, you're this, supposed this, to say that. This is yes, definitely going to happen. And I'll tell you happen. why. I, I, and, I'll, and I'll, we'll get into that. I don't want to go into the Bears yet. Right. We're not even through third and eight, okay? Because third and eight was a call that a lot of people will look at and fixate on because it was a flag that gave them a first down. It made the field go more. It, it changed the game. It prevented the Eagles from being having time left to respond and come back. But it's a three-phase game, and those people don't bring up the fact that the quarterback of the Eagles just coughed a ball up that led okay, to a we'll touchdown get, for the let Chiefs. Let me get to the third and eight. Right. Bradbury reacted to what was, call, what was called, and he admitted this, as you alluded to. Let's hear what he had to say about the penalty flag. Uh, third and eight, uh, we're in a man coverage. Uh, did you motion down to a bunch? He ran a pivot and wheel. Um, I was just trying to get some momentum going to go back with the, the, the wheel. Um, of course, I pulled on his jersey, so they called it. What's your thought on the call? Uh, I mean, I pulled the jersey, you know, they called holding. I was hoping they would let it ride, you know, but it was holding. Is that something they typically let ride? Uh, I'm not sure. Um, I think based off the playoff games that we were in, the playoff games that I saw, you know, sometimes the refs let, let some things like that go, you know, just depend on the ref. Was that consistent with the way it was called the previous, you know, three quarters plus? Um, I think so. It was, I mean, they were pretty consistent for the most part. Um, I just can't be blatant with it. That's as professional of a response as you're ever going to get in those circumstances after losing a Super Bowl and a lot of people pointing to that as one of the biggest reasons why. Greg Olson was ranting and raving on the air in real time. Was that a rant and a rave? For network television. I think he was pointing out the fact that he was pushing back to Mike Pereira. I was glad that he did because I was thinking what he was saying. I, I think the TV angle didn't show the tugging of the jersey with the right hand. We saw the the push with the left, but it was the right hand that he was grabbing that kind of right. trying to prevent him from getting ahead. And and if you watch that yeah. or if you look at the picture of that, that definitely impacts. I think you're going to see that a lot on a on a November Sunday in the midst of you know the third quarter of a, of, of an a, NFC North game. I, I, whatever the case, you're always going to see that. It's often not called. That's all I'm saying is that it's often not called. Now JJ Juju Smith Schuster who was held, obviously had a much different perspective on the play. you feel like you got held on that last play when they do loud? Oh, yes, 100%. Um, my routes strike in, strike back out. I mean, Bradbury's a good player, but, you know, I feel like at some day it's gonna be, a call is going to be called. But he's not that good. <laughs> he's a good player. He's not that good. <laughs> but here you – this is why I can't sit here and manufacture anger. When both players, the man that, that had his jersey held and the guy who held the jersey have admitted. Let me be clear. I'm not happened. angry. I, I just understood where Greg Olson was coming from. I don't think this had anything to do with the outcome. It, I think it prevented them from uh, a, a late drive that probably would have been futile anyway. I, I don't think that was a game the Chiefs were going to lose. I don't think this call had a lot to do with the outcome necessarily. But I did understand the point Greg Olson was making 
because in real time, that's exactly how I was feeling. And and I understand. I, I don't agree with you in saying that that I, I think you can say that had a huge role in deciding the game. And here's why. I, I think as we were watching that game, especially down the stretch, what, what stuck in my mind was, and this is why we had such a difficult time, I think, predicting who was going to win prior to the game in, in the week leading up to it. It's that you felt like whoever had the ball last with time was going to end up winning the game, right? And yeah. And because of that penalty, it took away any realistic chance for Philadelphia to have a potential game-winning drive. There was a minute 54 left. I get what you're saying, and there's no guarantee that the Chiefs would have been able to stop or you, you just don't know what would have happened. But I, I think at that point, the, the way the Chiefs' defense was playing, you might have – it would have been a tough thing to ask Jalen Hurts to do. Although, okay, I'll allow you that. I'll, but I, I still don't think that – I don't know. They would have pulled it off. I don't want to dwell on that play being the difference in a classic game. And that's why I agree with you there. Because there are other aspects of the game, and, and this is what I was getting to earlier before we started playing the, the sound bites there. The quarterback of the Eagles, Jalen Hurts, gave, just coughed up a ball in a transfer. He wasn't hit, just gave up the ball on a fumble that led to a touchdown. It's hard to recover from those, whether you're playing a game in November, they didn't. in September, right? They didn't. So that's one. And then the second thing is, yeah, the Chiefs, they missed a field goal in the game. Special teams plays a big role. But they also had a huge return late that helped change the game on the punt return by Tony. And when you when you have quarterbacks playing at the top of their game, both offenses able to score at an extremely high level, the other two phases matter. And the Chiefs stepped up defensively. They're not like the Eagles. They don't look to punish you from start to finish. The way the... The, the, the Chiefs play defense. They're looking to create negative plays for the opponent in order to give Mahomes and the Chiefs offense more opportunities to have the ball. So they understand that there are going to be times where you burn them with your offense, but they're going to create big plays, splash plays, if you will, defensively, to give Mahomes and company a chance to add more points to the board. The Eagles don't play defense that way. They've been a shutdown. De- when they get the lead, at least this is the reason that they were playing in the Super Bowl. When they've gotten the lead this season, they have shut down their opponents. They got the lead in this game. They could never shut down Mahomes and the Chiefs. Well, they he's did. on a different level, and he reads on a different level, and the punt return you referenced was the longest in Super Bowl history. So there had to be a 65-yarder by Kadarius Toney, which set up the three-play, five-yard touchdown drive and that was right around 10 minutes to go. And that that was such a key point mm-hmm. of the game. You're talking about things that are historically good. A coach who has, you know, being referred to as the, the greatest play caller of all time. A quarterback who already is one of the top five quarterbacks of all time. And the longest pump return in Super Bowl history. You had to have all those things happen in the final 10 minutes of that game to, to lose it if you're the Eagles. So that doesn't make you feel any better about it, but that just shows you that this was the exception to the rule, their rule. And they had to have all these things conspire at the same time 
And it was just one of those nights that, yeah, they'll want to forget, but they're never going to be able to. 100%. And, and that's just that's the way it goes when you're playing for stakes that high. And and Patrick Mahomes will continue to talk about his legacy, what it means. This is his second Super Bowl. It's remarkable that in five years as a starter, he has been in five AFC championship games, his third Super Bowl, and now he's 2-1. and one. And doesn't it crush you? You had an opportunity. He, look. Last week, one of the big storylines of the week, other than Justin Fields doing the whole media row thing, was the fact that Patrick Mahomes Sr. said... Former that, Cub. Yes, and, and a bunch of other twin, the whole deal. Former Cub. Yes. In Chicago. Yes, but a brief Cub. Anyway, the point is that he goes on the air and says that they thought his son was going to be a bear. Then Patrick Mahomes the second comes out publicly and basically said, yeah, I, I thought I was going to be a bear. And he's not. I don't think we would be talking about five straight eight NFC championship games in Chicago if Patrick Mahomes was a bear, though. I don't think that we would be talking about two Super Bowls in the last five years. You know as well as anybody, Zach, what happens when quarterbacks check in at Hallis Hall. They don't go on to five straight championship games. They don't, and he wouldn't have. No way. The Bears made the playoffs twice with Mitchell Trubisky. Okay. Right? So now imagine if you actually had a guy who understood how to play the position. That's I, all I'm saying. I, that's, I, I'm, not, I'm not rewriting history from the standpoint. I, I don't believe that, that Dowell Loggins would now be. In, <laughs> thank you for that. We brought him up last week. I forgot all about Doubtful Loggins. And so, what else happened yesterday? Northwestern beat Purdue, the number one team in America, at Evanston. Crazy scene postgame. The students rushed the floor. We'll talk about how Northwestern now is on a path that will get its, the Wildcats likely back to March Madness, 64-58, to 58, the first time in school history, program history, that they beat the number one overall team. Got to talk about the Bulls at some point. They lose. Again, they're 0-2 since the trade deadline, since AK told us uh, before the Nets game and then Friday morning during that interview here on the Mullane Haw Show about they're waiting for something to happen. They're waiting for to see what's going to happen in the tw final 27 games. Well, it's happening. They're not very good, and they had a season-high 23 turnovers. That mm. is no way to respond. And we'll uh, talk to Casey Johnson today because he had a very good sit-down one-on-one with Zach Levine before Saturday night's game, and he had some very interesting things to say, and the Russell Westbrook rumors won't go away. And so They shouldn't, quite well, frankly. You think he's a good fit in Chicago? What have you done to this point? I can't – I'm so glad you're here, Zach, because you're – you're, you are so wrong about a couple of things already that it's going to be a fun four hours. Who's your point guard right now? Who's your point guard right now? Right now. Not a guy that's going to cost no, whatever I'm saying he's going right to cost. Right now, today, who is your point guard? Io DeSunmu. I, I know that they have issues, but I don't know I don't know they have problems. I just don't know that Russell Westbrook is a solution. Desperate times call for desperate measures. That's all so I'm saying. I get it. So we've got Tom Thayer, we've got KC, we've got Alex Gold from 610 uh, Sports in Kansas City to give us the scene and what it was like to be around the Chiefs postgame. And also Stacey Dales hopefully will be able to check in. She covered the game for the NFL Network. And Zach Zaidman, 
is in for Mully, and you are going to enjoy that. It's going to be a lot of fun this morning. It's Mully and Haw, Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. It's Pick 6 with Mully and Haw, where we debate the top six sports stories of the day and then open it up to you, the Chicago sports fan. Call us at 312-644-6767, or you can tweet your thoughts at Mully Haw. Pick 6 with Mully and Haw starts now. What will you remember about the Chiefs winning Super Bowl 57? Was there one play, one sequence, or one moment that you'll think of next year at this time and say, oh, yeah, I remember that? I don't know if it will be next year at this time I'll be able to remember it, but I think the most indelible image that I have is related to Patrick Mahomes, and this was all about Patrick Mahomes. Yeah, the the scheming of Andy Reid created two touchdowns that looked like those guys were on an island by themselves. And that's all about game planning, play design, and tendencies and halftime adjustments. And those are great. But I think when you think about one image or something that typifies everything about what we saw, it would be the 26-yard scramble in the fourth quarter by Mahomes at a time where we had just spent the previous three-and-a-half quarters talking about his ankle the previous two weeks, talking about his ankle and wondering how how much he would be limited by his ankle. The high ankle sprain. We saw him grimace. We saw him playing through pain. Is this his flu game? Is this his Michael Jordan flu game where you look back and it was greatness that was uh, only exceeded by his toughness? Because in the first one that he won, the Super Bowl, it was because he was great. Last night, it was because he was tough. And I think that play typified it as much as anything. So if I had to pick one moment that said everything about the Chiefs winning the second Super Bowl for Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid, it would be that 26-yard scramble. David, I agree with you wholeheartedly. I had said also when we were making our predictions that the over 19 rushing yards for the prop bet for Patrick Mahomes was easy money. Okay, and uh, he had a couple of rushes over 19 yards in that game. I did get a little nervous when he was doing the old backpedal and kneeling because that a couple <laughs> years ago, that a couple years ago ruined yeah. Patrick Mahomes over rushing. But uh, you never bet against Patrick Mahomes. That that that's what I'll remember. And if they're back in this, if they're back in Super Bowl 58 out in Las Vegas, uh, I'll be backing Patrick Mahomes. I'll be backing his over rushing yards, and I'll be backing the Chiefs. Two moments, one from the actual game and one from right before the game. I I think years from now, every time you sit down and watch the national anthem before the Super Bowl, you will always recall the image of Nick Sirianni crying because the emotions hit at that point for him. I think that's the way a lot of Bears fans feel when they think about not drafting Patrick Mahomes when he had a chance. But in all seriousness. If they had won, you're exactly right. That was going to be it forever. 
but I, I agree with you guys. From the actual game, it is the 26-yard scramble by Mahomes that, that put the Chiefs in a field goal range. It was his longest run of the season. And when you think about this playoff run for Mahomes, it's been defined by the fact that he's had to primarily play from the pocket because of the high ankle sprain. Yet twice in the AFC Championship game, he clinched that game with his legs and then last night, that run was necessary. And it was a huge play in the game. And that's what greatness does. Greatness comes through no matter what impedes you. You come out and you find a way. And Patrick Mahomes did. That's why he's one of the greatest of all time. Such a great question. At any point Sunday night, or maybe it's more accurate to ask how often did you think there's nothing Jalen Hurts is doing for the Eagles that Justin Fields can't do for the Bears? How crazy is that to consider? I think it is crazy. Yes, there's a lot of similarities between Jalen Hurts and Justin Fields. They're both dynamic when they run. In fact, I would say Fields is a better runner than Hurts is, but I think Hurts is a better passer than Fields is. From this standpoint, when you say a guy's a better passer, it doesn't mean that he throws a better ball. Justin Fields throws as beautiful of a deep ball as anyone in the NFL, especially outside the numbers. But it's being able to quickly process what you're seeing and make an opponent pay for what they're trying to do, which clearly, and, and you heard Justin Fields last week talk about being able to do the routine stuff routinely, which he doesn't, and, and clearly Jalen Hurts does. So they're, they're in different aspects of their career the other thing I kept thinking about the entire time do you know how far away the Bears are from putting a team around Justin Fields like the Eagles have surrounded Jalen Hurts with and they may not be able to do that by the time his rookie contract is up and you can't afford to sign Justin Fields to a long-term deal and put that kind of team that Philadelphia has around Jalen Hurts. I, I don't know if we're ever going to see that. I thought not exactly about Justin Fields, but what I thought about is, wow, if the Bears had a Devonta Smith or an A.J. Brown, what that would mean. That, that's what I thought. That was my biggest takeaway. It wasn't Fields per se. Yeah, it was for me. Because, and maybe I, it is crazy to consider, but I think we do comparisons all the time. Who does he remind you of? Who is he similar to? Jalen Hurts running the football, taking command, and having those intangibles, that is where you see, yeah, Justin Fields could do that. Justin Fields could break that tackle. He is a better runner probably than Jalen Hurts. Not his skills of a passer. That's where I think that you saw the way that Jalen Hurts threw A.J. Brown open. He gave him a chance to make a play. The Bears don't have that kind of receiver. Uh, the Bears don't have that kind of offensive line. All those things are true, and I think the accuracy that we heard Justin Fields talk about last week he needs to work on, certainly you saw that he's not there as a passer the way that Jalen Hurts is, uh, which was on display. He had 304 yards passing. Who would have thought he would throw uh, more for more passing yards than Patrick Mahomes in a Super Bowl? But you also look at A.J. Brown, you look at Smith, and you look at Goddard, and they all made plays and catches on passes that maybe weren't perfect. You need help to progress. Jalen Hurts got it this year. He took a major step, a quantum leap in year three, 
I don't think it's possible for Justin Fields to do that next year, but I think it has more to do with the roster than it does to do with him. And they are going to improve maybe at a similar rate. But yeah, I think that it is fair and it isn't crazy to look at what Jalen Hurts did in, in getting his team to this point and see how he did it and think you want your quarterback to to play in that style because he has those skills. They have they don't they don't have the team around him. That goes without saying, but I do see a valid comparison between the two quarterbacks. Don't ask me a dumb question you don't answer to. The Bulls are 0-2 since our tourist corner Chauvis stood pat at the trade deadline. And over the weekend, Woj said on ESPN, Russell Westbrook might be on the way. Uh, listen, there is significant interest in Westbrook. I think one team that you've got to watch and I think will be a front runner, the Chicago Bulls. Would signing Westbrook be a sign of urgency or desperation? And is there a difference? At this point, I don't know that there's a difference. It's a desperate move if they do that. And yet, part of me, as much as I've railed against the idea and I don't see a fit and I think Russ is done, uh, it's his fifth team in five years, goodness sakes. But you're the Bulls. They turned the ball over 23 times on Saturday night. They play with no sense of urgency. I get it. I, I would almost understand it because of how bad things have gotten. And, but the, the only way I would qualify it, or, or maybe I, I would not endorse it necessarily, but desperate times do call for desperate measures. They're trying to get somebody on that bench, whether it's in a reserve row or in the starting lineup, to play every possession like it might be his last. That's Russell Westbrook. He's going to give you that. He's going to give you effort. He's going to give you intensity. He's going to give you a headache. But I think that you may – that may be the, the – the lesser of all the evils at this point is the fact that he might be difficult to manage. You may need his spark because you're not getting anything, and you've got a team that's trying to prove something to your the executive vice president in the final, what, 25 games now? And all they're proving is how disappointing they are. So I understand it, even though I wouldn't recommend it. Yeah, not recommendable, but I think it's a uh, urgency desperation signing. You know, it's like the must-win statement game. This is an urgency desperation signing. Um, they had a statement game in, in Cleveland over the weekend, and the statement was, we stinks. <laughs> and that was the statement. I mean, I, I watched the end of that game with my daughter, and we both could not believe what they were doing in the fourth quarter. That was absolutely atrocious. Just just, just atrocious. It, it, so, sure, bring him in. It, can they get any worse? That's can, it. I mean, can it, get, can it get worse? So you may as well try. They could do a whole lot worse. And, and like you said, David, Westbrook's going to show up every night, and he's going to give you everything he's got. Now, I don't know how that's going to work with DeMar DeRozan and Zach Levine, but I'm interested to see it. With stings. <laughs> if the Bulls were in the running for Wembeyama, then I would say absolutely not. There, there's no need to just keep going without a point guard. There's no reason to have one. Keep turning the ball over 20-plus times. Keep making sure that your best players don't get the ball where they, they need the ball in order to succeed. He's not going to solve the problems. And the bottom line is this team can't shoot from three-point territory. How do you win NBA games today if you can't hit from three-point territory? So that's not Russell Westbrook's game. You're adding another guy who needs the ball in order to be successful, who's a, who dominates the ball. And that's they need guys that can pass. They need guys that move the ball around. They need guys that can get easy looks. And that's not Westbrook's game. But 
They don't have a point guard on the roster right now. You do have a guy who has a connection with the head coach. And if we've seen anything throughout the career of Russell Westbrook, there are few guys he connects with. He connected with Scott Brooks, his former coach, when he was in Washington, and he saw a little bit of a resurgence of the OKC Russ. Mm -hmm. Maybe you get that. Because remember, he's trying to to show the rest of the league that he's got something left. You know, the Bulls have not been over 500 since November 7th. That's crazy. What's crazy is that they kept this team together. Yeah, no, that's a a fair question. The Cubs added to their bullpen by signing former Tigers and Twins reliever Michael Fulmer per The Athletic. How important is this signing, and what role do you envision Fulmer playing for the Cubs? I think he's going to be a valuable piece out of the bullpen if you look at the way the Cubs have used their pitch lab over the last few years. They've done a terrific job of taking veteran guys who you're not quite sure about but have a little something left. They get into the pitch lab. They refine who that person is, and there's a resurgence. And as we've seen over the last few years, if the Cubs are not in contention, what they do is they take those veterans and they turn them into prospects. Hayden Wisniewski is one of the Cubs' best young starters. They got him because they were able to flip around Scott Efros. Just one example, and there are plenty of others over the last few years. So from that standpoint, I love the deal. The Cubs can't get enough good bullpen arms, and what we've seen the last few years is they know how to take those arms and maximize them. I think the toughest thing year in, year out to build for a baseball team is a bullpen. It's never the same from what happened yesteryear. Why not take a flyer on a guy like Fulmer? Sure, take the flyer. I mean, the bullpen's got some questions. I mean, where, where they have no lefties. They have one. They have one left-handed pitcher in the bullpen. He's pretty good. Huh? He's pretty good. Yeah, but see, what you have to look at now in Major League Baseball is splits. The way you use a bullpen, right? You, you take guys out. You, you can't take them out at, um, until. They face three batters. So you better have guys with good reverse splits. That's Fulmer. Reverse splits is big. And they also don't have a closer. So, I mean, Fulmer, he might be in the mix to be the closer. I mean, they don't have, I mean, you know, Boxberger, Wick, Brandon Hughes, the lefty, Albert Alzale. You know, I mean, who who's the closer? I like Brandon Hughes. I think they just signed their closer. I think Michael Fulmer, Fulmer will be their closer. I, they're going to giving up him an opportunity. It's another sneaky good signing. It's another former rookie of the year. He had success in Detroit as a starter. He encountered the Tommy John surgery coming back from that. You know, maybe he didn't fit in great with the Twins, but that was a midseason trade. You never know. This is a veteran who is coming to a, a, an organization who knows what to do with guys at the stages of their career. They have a track record that is now becoming more and more impressive. This is probably an opportunity Michael Fulmer views is is enough to to resurrect his career and to get an opportunity to save games this is whatever even if it doesn't start out that way i think it could be trending that direction because michael fulmer is somebody that you would trust with the ball in his hand in the ninth inning with three outs to get and so i think that the cubs have now they do maybe need another lefty dustin you're right uh the uh, splits are a good counter argument zach and maybe they'll go out and get somebody in the farm system. Andrew Chafin just signed with the Diamondbacks, so he's off the market. But I look at what they have done at every need that existed this offseason. They have addressed it, and this is the last step before pitchers and catchers report on Wednesday. 
You were asked true. a lot of questions. On Saturday's Inside the Clubhouse, Chuck Garfine sounded pretty certain Mike Clevenger will be in a White Sox uniform Wednesday when pitchers and catchers report to spring training in Arizona. Spring training is just a few days away, and nothing has happened yet. It's looking like Mike Clevenger is going to be at spring training when the pitchers and catchers report on Wednesday. So it'll just kind of be pushed aside for the moment until we have some sort of clarity. It is not a situation that anybody wants to talk about. I don't want to talk about it, and we'll just see how this prevails. But it's looking like we're going to see Mike Clevenger in a Sox uniform on Wednesday. Do you agree, and what will your reaction be if Clevenger is, in fact, in that Sox uniform on Wednesday? It's a mystery. That was a really good interview with Chuck on Saturday with Bruce and I inside the clubhouse. The Sox have got to do whatever they can to make sure this doesn't happen. This is a distraction they don't need, but it's one it looks like they're not going to be able to avoid. They need the help from the commissioner's office. They need him put on some sort of administrative leave or exempt list or whatever they put Trevor Bauer on. If this investigation is still ongoing, they need to wrap it up as soon as possible, which is you know as soon as is expedient. But they can't do it recklessly either. Until they're done, I don't want him representing my organization. And maybe even after they're done, it becomes more obvious you don't want that. But while there's still ambiguity surrounding whether or not he did what he's accused of doing, you can't take that chance if you're Rick Hahn, if you're Kenny Williams. If you're Jerry Reinsdorf, you make a phone call. Rob Manfred, help me out. Do me a solid. Whatever the case may be, they don't have a great history. Maybe this isn't going to happen. Maybe that's unrealistic. But the idea and the image, potentially, of Michael Clevenger going out there wearing a White Sox uniform on Wednesday at Camelback Ranch in Glendale, it's disgusting because what he's accused of is a very serious uh, allegation, and you can't take that lightly, and you can't risk having him represent you even for one day if that's true. So you need some help from the commissioner's office. Let's hope they provide some in the next 48 hours. Yeah, I think it's a clarity thing. I think there's stuff in the agreement between the players and the owners that we're not privy to and we don't know completely. Um, I'm I'm assuming that if they put him on some type of list, that would change the money structure that they would owe him in doing that. So, I mean, couldn't couldn't they fake an injury for both sides' sake? Like, do you think Clevenger wants to have to talk to reporters? Do you think Clevenger's teammates want to have to answer for him? Do you think the Sox and do you think Rick Hahn wants to add, answer five questions about this uh, on Wednesday or Thursday this week? Probably not. So but let, let's 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 see what happens. But uh, it's a it's a bad look all around. I can't imagine this guy pitches for the White Sox at any point this season. I mean, you know that organization. There's no way, based on the allegations, that this guy is going to pitch for Jerry Reinsdorf's team. No way. I don't know how it'll end. I don't know what the resolution's going to be. But I can't see Mike Clevenger suiting up for the White Sox. And the questions that they must be asking internally as to how this happened are tougher than anything that that's going to happen once the media starts peppering anyone with questions. You've got a new manager. You've got a new season. And you're going to go there Wednesday or even this weekend. And this is going to be the distraction you invited to camp. 
There's a lot of time between now and Wednesday, don't okay. you think? Thank you. This will be a pick six. There's your ball game. It was Super Sunday for Northwestern basketball and Coach Chris Collins with the Wildcats beating Purdue for the school's first win ever over a number one team. How did that happen? And do the Cats have to make the NCAA to validate this victory? Doesn't this victory help validate their ascent to the NCAA tournament? You're watching a tournament team. Yesterday was the biggest win for Northwestern ever outside of playing in the NCAA tournament. But they've been compiling big wins all season long. This is not a fluke. This is a very good basketball team led by one of the best backcourts in the Big Ten. Boo Booey, Chase Audige. College basketball is all about backcourt play, and Chris Collins has one of the best backcourts in the conference. And up front, they have guys who understand how to play their role. So Matthew Nicholson is their center. They've got a good forward by the name of Robbie Barron. Brooks Barnheiser is a, a, a terrific guy. Hoosier. Yeah, exactly. And I think specifically yesterday, they did a terrific – Zach Eady is the, the big player. Oh, my gosh. In, in, in the guy. Big Ten, right? He's a, he's a huge center for Purdue. Uh, a tremendous force. And what Northwestern did beautifully yesterday is they double-teamed him every time he got the ball in the post, but from different areas. It wasn't the same – double team which I think left Purdue flummoxed and they never quite recovered Northwestern is one of the best defensive teams in the country it's been all display all season long none more so than yesterday what a win for the Cats yeah great great win for the Cats I mean Purdue's guards just couldn't shoot straight in the second half of that game that's for sure um yeah I mean if they all of a sudden went into a tailspin and didn't make the tournament, then I think people would forget, other than if you were at the game, that Northwestern did take down Purdue. So I do think they need to make it to the tournament to, you know, that'll be part of the story that they took down number one. So it's great. Listen, Chicagoland area is going to have two teams in the tournament, and that makes the tournament that much better. U of I will be there, and uh, Northwestern should be there. Yeah, the Super Bowl was not the only game on Sunday that revealed great coaching. Chris Collins did a terrific job. Zach, you pointed out just one instance about how they double-teamed Edie in the second half, especially Purdue seemed a little bit more flummoxed, and Northwestern responded to the moment, to the atmosphere. Did you see those students rushing the floor? Did you see that reaction? And it was... uh, it was fun to watch. It was, I didn't expect that out of Northwestern, frankly. I know they've been having a good year. I was curious about um, what they had to offer. I haven't been watching a ton of Northwestern basketball, I'm not going to lie. Always been a fan of Chris Collins. Always appreciate the way he's represented uh, his program and always loved that family. And certainly you felt for them. And it was a great moment for the entire family. His son Ryan is now one of the team managers post game during the interview on the Big Ten Network. They're both in tears. They understand what it means to have a moment like that, a moment that the program had never experienced. They're, they're, they peaked, and let's hope that they, this continues. I do think they will get to the tournament, and this will be validated. That might be overstating it, but one comes with the other. When you're good enough to put yourself in tournament contention, you're capable of having moments like they produced on Sunday. So good for Northwestern basketball. Good for the Big Ten, frankly, because now you've got a team that really is emerging. And you're right, Chase Adige and Boo Booey, 
Those are two names that people around Chicago, if you haven't heard all winter long, get used to hearing them because this is a time we're halfway through February. We're about to March Madness, and we're going to have two teams to follow in the tournament, and that's going to be a lot of fun. A lot of fun indeed. All right, that is the pick six. The pick six uh, leads us to the extra point. We're going to talk more about the Super Bowl. Zach Zaidman is in for Mully. We'll hear from him all morning long. You're going to have a great time. It's the Mully and Haas Show, Chicago Sports Radio 670, the score. Go Cats! Set up this extra point. It's time for the extra point with Mully and Haw on 670 The Score. With the Chiefs winning another Super Bowl with Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid, can there be any big takeaways with a top five all-time quarterback and one of the best play callers in NFL history? What is the lesson of the 2023 season for the 31 teams who didn't get the chance to celebrate? I know that's the natural inclination to ask that question because it's what happens in 31 other cities or at least 30 other cities who aren't in the Super Bowl or teams that want to get there. I almost felt like last night in the aftermath that we were, I was looking at this like I used to look at when the Patriots celebrated and you had Belichick and Brady and you're like, boy, you know, that is so cool. They go together so well. You just can't plan for that. You can't draft that. You can't trade for that. You can't acquire that. All you can do is hope for that. And so I don't know that hope is a plan. So it doesn't look like you can take away anything from what happened last night in terms of a copycat version of the Kansas City Chiefs in Chicago or Indianapolis or whatever team is trying to rebuild and get back to respectability because these guys are such rare individuals, not only in the context of now, but in the context of ever. In the National Football League, Andy Reid is one of the best game planners, play callers, offensive minds that we have ever had the have the privilege to watch coach on an NFL sideline. Patrick Mahomes is as much fun to watch as any player in professional football history. So he's already a top five quarterback, and I would argue with anybody that suggests otherwise. So I don't know how you can say, yeah, we want a, we want one of those. Of course you do. Everybody does. You dream of these kind of marriages in, in sports, but it's not as easy to duplicate as it is to desire. So I don't think that there's any great big takeaway like, you know, the Ravens win with defense one year and everybody wants to form their defenses around or their or the rosters that way, or you can win with a rookie contract. No, this is no takeaway. This is a standalone moment in time. You've got Andy Reid. You've got Patrick Mahomes. Appreciate him. Well, offense wins championships. I think, though, you can take that away because all we heard about was, oh, boy, you know, the Eagles and that defense, and they've got 10 guys, they got four guys with double digit sacks, and, a, and another guy with seven who might be their actually best pass. Okay, that, that defense produced how many sacks last night? Zero. Zip. Zero. And that was how the Eagles were going to win that game last night, is because they were going to sack the heck out of Patrick. You need a Patrick Mahomes which, you know, he might be generational, so that's not out there. You need a play caller that, that you need that you also need. So you need a quarterback and you need a play caller. And then you need to you need to hit on some draft picks. Okay. Isaiah Pacheco, who the heck is that? You know, a seventh round pick. Had a pretty nice game last night. You know, Tony, who was having a you know, couldn't get along with people out in New York. And then you trade for a guy like that who had two huge moments in last night's game. So when you do get close 
And when you are sniffing around, you got to be big and bold and go get a guy that can change uh, your fortunes. Whew. My takeaway is you want to be in the NFC. Think about all the great quarterbacks in the <laughs> AFC, right? That's, I, I that's, mean, that's true. Y- y- you've got Joe Burrow. <laughs> you've got Josh Allen. You've got Justin Herbert when he was healthy before the injury. You had Tua. These guys can't beat Patrick Mahomes when he's at his best. If he's the guy who has the football in his hands last, you're not winning that game. That's how good he is. The other thing that I took away from this, and to Dustin's point, you build in the trenches. If you don't have that quarterback, you better be good up front, both sides of the line, but specifically offensively to allow your quarterback the time he needs to make plays. We always talk about, oh, man, it would be great if Justin Fields has all these weapons around him. And, yeah, that's true. You really do want him to have weapons. But more importantly, you want the quarterback to feel comfortable when he drops back even for a little bit to be able to make the routine plays routinely, which clearly wasn't the case this past season with Fields. It really hasn't been for his brief career in the NFL. And yeah, I know I'm, I'm localizing it now. I'm, and I'm looking specifically at one team and what one team can learn. There are a few other lessons here. If you don't have true greatness at the quarterback position, and when I say true greatness, I mean the ability to both pass and run. I'm not signing that quarterback to a long-term deal. I don't care how exciting the player is. And I, I think Baltimore's learning that lesson with Lamar Jackson. That's an interesting uh, statement. I think because the Ravens not doing that with Lamar Jackson makes you feel stronger in saying it, though, because you, you, you have an example. It, it used to be, Zach, you want your quarterback. 100%. You want to sign him. You want to lock him up. And then you want to do everything else. But then now I flip it back to the NFC because okay. I think these are the realistic lessons that you learn. You watch the way Philadelphia has been rebuilt under Howie Roseman. Are we, are we safe to say that – this guy is one of the premier executives in North American sports right now in terms of what he's been able to do. Without a doubt. Right? So he, he built, Without a, doubt. He built a, a championship Super Bowl team mm-hmm. that was able to win that title with Nick Foles as the quarterback and then revamped the entire team and was able to take another Eagles team to the Super Bowl with – Jalen Hurts a second round pick because that quarterback isn't locked in long term and that frees up the ability to create a real team around the quarterback I think San Francisco is another great example you know I I think the Niners believe they can win with anybody at the position as long as that person is healthy because they have weapons across the board and because they have won with almost anybody at the position as long as you and and that's the Kyle lesson. Shanahan's there. That's that's the lesson I take okay. away, it, it, especially but, in the NFC. I don't want to put words in your mouth. Are you saying though, in a way that, if anything, you come away with this? Mahomes is not. He, he's a unicorn. You can't duplicate. Can't that. compare him. But was last night a victory for coaching? In the NFL, was last night something that when you saw the way that Andy Reid came out in the second half, or maybe it was Eric Bieniemy, maybe it was a combination of both. The Kansas City coaches found a way to free up the Chiefs receivers and they schematically put on a clinic in the second half. I'll bet the Eagles wished 
that Vic Fangio was on the sideline yesterday. If, if you missed the, the report prior to the he, game. He gave him advice. But in the first half, keep this in mind, in the first half, the Chiefs were struggling offensively. They were down 10 at halftime, right? And then Andy Reid and the Kansas City coaching staff realized, all right, this is what they're doing. Here is our reaction to what they're doing. And they're not going to be able to overcome this. And they couldn't. Okay, well, maybe, though. I would have probably charged Vic Fangio for incidentals after that second half. <laughs> I don't know that I would have paid for his two weeks of hotel stay in Arizona after they gave up what they gave up to Andy Reid and company after halftime. To your point, there is no sport in our country where coaching matters more than football. It's a great point. Zach Zabin is in for Molly. What did you think? the turning point was on Sunday night in the Super Bowl. What were your impressions and what play or moment will you remember the most, even if it's the anthem or the halftime show? What do you think about the Super Bowl? Let us know. 312-644-6767. It's Mullen Haw, Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score. He strives to be the greatest. I mean, without saying anything, that's the way he works. I mean, he wants to be the greatest player ever. That's, that's what he wants to do. And that's the way he goes about his business. And he does it humbly. You know, I mean, there's no bragging. Uh, he could stand up here and give you the, these stats that are incredible that he's had. But he never, he's never going to do that. That's just not him. Molly Haw, Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score. Zach Zaidman in for Molly today. That was Andy Reid talking about Patrick Mahomes. One of the more underrated aspects, I think, of having a quarterback as historically good, as generational talent as Patrick Mahomes is, he is self-deprecating. I love that about him. He's very relatable. He is the Steph Curry of his sport, I think, and his personality also makes him easy to like, like, a small example, post-game, Chris Berman's talking to him, Steve Young's talking to him. They're all trying to get a word in and establish a rapport. And at one point, Mahomes refers to the 26-yard run that I referenced earlier, and he says, you know, I, then I just use my 4.8 speed uh, <laughs> to break away. He's, he, he understands how to communicate. He's so – it's just good leadership. He knows what it takes, and he's just got the immense talent. He's the easiest guy in the NFL to like. His greatness is unbelievable. I mean, it really is. It, what he's done in his career, and that's why I laugh. It, you said this earlier, that had he been, say the Bears had taken him mm -hmm. in 2017, and, and you asked, do you really think he would be this good with the Bears? Yes. If you're great. My skepticism has nothing to do with Patrick Mahomes' special ability as much as it does the Bears' consistency in, in not getting the most out of their talent or draft picks. I think if you are truly great, it, it cannot be hidden. Maybe. For example, when the Bears first drafted Brian Urlacher, they didn't know where to properly play him. <laughs> right? They, they didn't know where to put him. Right. And it's not like he was playing for Hall of Famers. So he's at the wrong position. They quickly figured out, you know what? This isn't the best place to put him. They put him in the middle, and a Hall of Fame career ensues. And Devin Hester, there, there were some coaches that didn't want him on the team. It's a good point. When they drafted him. His greatness surfaced. It was inevitable. When you're great, you're great. Score Listener Line is powered by BetQL. Bet smarter, beat the books. Download the BetQL app today or visit BetQL.com. 
312-644-6767. Let's start the conversation with Mark in South Bend. Mark, welcome to the Mullen Haw Show. Hey, welcome there. Hi, hi, David. Hi, Zach. Uh, Zach, you hit the nail on the head with the hammer when you said about the nineteen, uh, the 2017 draft and Mahomes going uh, by the board with an overzealous GM taking Trubinsky. And that's going to be that hammer that keeps hitting the nail for a long time because number 15 for the Chiefs is going to be around for a long time competing for championships. The other thing I want to mention in the Super Bowl, you got a 45-minute halftime. Coaching is everything, like you guys said. And Maho- and uh, Andy Reid and Eric Bieniemy on that first series came out with successful running plays. And what's what saved the what got the Chiefs back into it to win it was the running game. Set up the passing play, and the Philly uh, rushers couldn't pin back their ears as long as the Chiefs had successful running in that second half. Thanks, Mark. Appreciate the phone call. Yes, Andy Reid made the most out of his halftime 45 minutes. He was not watching Rihanna. (laughs) By the way. He missed a great show. So uh, I learned. He he missed a great show, but he was clearly doing better things. Okay. So, and I don't know if every song from her was great. I don't know if it was a great show. It was a, a great reminder of her greatness. But, it, I mean, she's lip-syncing the whole time. Oh, the, And then... I know what you're saying. The, it was just a tribute. It was like yes. the Rihanna tribute. Yes. And you, you was like, oh, my gosh, she has so many great hits. Oh, my gosh, she is such a great performer. Oh, my gosh, she's lip-syncing again. And she's pregnant doing this. And she's this, pregnant. Which she's is unbelievable. Unbelievable. I, I, unbelievable. Are you scared of heights? Uh, Not really. But, but I'd say that I know what you're getting at. Performing on a suspended stage... Being dropped onto the field while pregnant. While pregnant, do not talk to me in the second half. I said this to my wife, who was like, "She's pregnant," and all of a sudden, I'm like, "Okay, I do not want to hear in the second half how hard it is to play on a sprained ankle when you have the Rihanna performing at halftime pregnant for 20 <laughs> minutes on stage. That is real toughness." <laughs> to, to your point about watching. The halftime show if you're actually a player. So in a previous life, I was the sideline reporter for the Chicago Bears. Yes. And when they last played in a Super Bowl, kids Google it, it happened back during the 2006 season. So it was in Miami, in the rain, <laughs> Prince performed. All-time best. Right? Purple rain. That's a standard. Purple rain. In the actual rain, it was phenomenal. So, But I, I was drenched at the end of the first half, like everyone else who was on the field, because yep. it, it rained nonstop. So I, I'm walking back to go in the tunnel just to dry off. And all of a sudden, I feel someone grab the back of my collar. And I turn around and look up. It's Tommy Harris, <laughs> right? Terrific defensive lineman back in the day for the Bears. Now, he was injured, did not play in that game. So right. he's in the Bears jumpsuit. He's like, hey, dude, we got to watch Prince. I go, what do you mean? We got we to gotta watch Prince. <laughs> This guy's like Michael Jackson. So he drags me back yeah. onto the field, and we stood on a couple of Gatorade coolers and watched Prince. That's so cool. It was Aren't you glad you did? One of the best experiences of my football life. You know who else watched Prince? Ron Turner. <laughs> Bears didn't adjust that well that day. So apparently that's... 
you weren't the only person uh, in charge of the, being on the Bears sideline that watched the halftime show <laughs> back in 2007. But we digress, and we will get to your phone calls. Keep uh, on hold. We're going to talk to Tom Thayer, though, next. We have to get the opinion of the Bears radio analyst because he was so good in breaking down the game last Thursday when he sat in, Zach. We always want to hear what Tom has to say. He will join us next. It's Molly and Haw. Zach is in for Molly, Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.